working through some technical difficulties. So first, I'd like to give huge props to Larry and the tech team and Zach and Bill. And I, mean, this is, this, I don't know what's going on up here, but it sounded great. And we all worshiped, and that's awesome, right? And, and as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, God will be worshiped. Like, it doesn't take anything by us declaring his praises, right? Um, and so, but, but that being said, it was a lot of effort. <laughs> so, um, so I appreciate all that, and Larry specifically with all your travels and, and organizing the, the group, and, and all by and all as we go. Hey, Larry, you want to be uh, our new worship director? He's like, yeah, sure, sounds good. Okay, everything's broke. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, I'm gonna use that one for a while. You know? um, so anyway, so I'm without a mic. Um, so unfortunately, uh, we're, we're getting pieces and parts back together, uh, which is good. Uh, the, we, we have definitely uh, solidified that uh, we lost, we got hit by lightning and, and shorted out basically a bunch of different wires and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, which is, which is fine. Y'all can hear me, right? Um, so we're, uh, we're just going to keep going through it. And, um, yeah. Um, another cool thing, well, that's, that wasn't cool, but it's cool what everybody's done. Um, what is cool is that we had like 12 people sign up in small groups over this last week. Which is really cool, yeah. So we've got six small groups meeting at different times. Um, actually, 14 as of this morning. Um, now that I think about some of the conversations I had. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome, right? Like, this is, and, I, and we know that it's challenging, and a lot of times people are like, man, I just can't commit to that timing, or I've got another group. That's totally cool. Um, but what we're going to see this morning in verses 1 through 7 is there is an each other. There is a, there is a relationship um, that, um, that allows us to declare God's glory through our relationships. It, it seems weird, right? Like, like we have this relationship with God, this vertical relationship, and yet God chooses to participate or chooses to allow us to participate with him. And he, and he does so like through our horizontal relationships, we declare who God is. Yeah, like I, I feel like in our minds we kind of die, we, we kind of bisect that, right? Like, like we have these relationships, and then we have a relationship with God, and like the, sometimes the two touch each other, but they, but rarely, you know. Maybe here on Sunday mornings, you know, or in your small group time, but, um, but that's not what He has for us, and, and He had like like through our relationships is how we declare God's glory, which is just incredible, and so. We're going to walk through this. Um, please, please pray that, 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 this, um, that I, I deliver this adequately and, and, uh, and with, um, with appropriate um, discernment as to where I think um, Paul is going as he, as he writes this. Letter. So um, I'm going to read the whole thing first, 15, 1 through 13. It's not going to be on the screen, so if you have your Bible, you can try it out. Um, if you have an app, from that on or whatever. Um, um, we're just going to read through it because I, I think it, it, it kind of joins it together. But by the way, verse 13 is probably is like the apex of the layer of the Romans, right? So, so verse 13 is like where, where, Paul, where Paul tops out, right? Like, like, uh, like that's it. Like that's what he was getting at. Um, and then he's going to coast down and talk about a bunch of people and then give kind of some final things. We've got two sermons left in, in Romans. And so... Um, all right, so let me, let me jump in here. So Romans chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Now, if you haven't been here, if you haven't been reading this, realize 
the strong in faith and the weak in faith is what he's talking about. And so the weak in faith, if you go back into chapter 14, are those who, who um, see everything as black and white and like that there's no gray area and that, that it's like, you know, everybody must do this and everybody must do this and, and they don't really have a lot of, um, uh, they, yeah, they just don't appreciate the gray area. And I say that, don't, don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean doctrinal things, things about who Christ is, uh, you know, those aren't the gray areas, right? Uh, so discerning what's the gray area and the black and white is also extremely challenging, right? So, um, and so that's what he's talking about here. He says, so we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it said to rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises, to rule the Gentiles, in him were the Gentiles' hope. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Probably in that middle section, you probably had a lot of paragraph breaks, a lot of spaces and stuff like that. And it, it, it seemed like we were going in a direction and then all of a sudden there's kind of this like, all starts quoting the Old Testament and starts rolling down different things. And, and so it's, it's difficult, it, this is why it was difficult for me to kind of go, like, how is he connecting this? And, and so, um, so this is, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to walk through it. And this is what I did. I'm like, all right, well, let's just... Let's just take one bite-sized piece, right? Um, God inspired this word, right? Um, Paul is writing down, he's thinking something, he's writing down intellectual thoughts that have logical connections. And so I think, you're going to see it up here, I think I'm going to like, hopefully be able to like flesh out what those connections are. So, um, all right, so the first thing he says is that we are to seek to build others up. Um, seek to build others up. Like, okay. All right, that sounds very selfless. That sounds like, I mean, honestly, the world could say the same thing, right? Like, what's unique to this? From a, from a Christian perspective, from a following Christ perspective, what is unique to this? Well, look at what he says in verses 1 and 2. 15, 1 through 2. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings 
of the weak. The weak are failing at something, and we, who are strong, whomever, right? Like, so here's a challenging part too, right? Like, you can go, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the strong ones. Okay, well, cool. Well, then here's your obligation. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, well, I'm one of the weak ones. Okay, well, then good. I mean, like, go before God and, and be discipled, be encouraged, right? So you have an obligation to bear with the feelings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So, so this, this like that, please ourselves. If you, if you got your Bible, I would underline that, circle it, put a box around it, whatever, whatever symbology you write. Um, how much? And I, I, you guys know I say this because it's convicting me. I, uh, how much are we thinking about pleasing others and building others up? Like frankly, you guys get some of my time, but. Spent a lot of time taking care of my own concerns and my own family, my own affairs, and things like that. And and and, and we got to be careful with this, right? Because all of a sudden you can go, well, that means like I what? I don't take care of anything. I don't eat. I don't sleep. Right? No. But don't don't do that. Don't create the extreme so that you can stay in an extreme. Go to where the scripture is telling us. God tells us here that we have an obligation to please others. To care for the failings of the weak. And then look what he says in verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for whose good? For his good. To build him up. We'll turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. This, this expression of building others up is all throughout Scripture. There's you can't get away from it. You can't live on an island. Ephesians 4, 1 3. I therefore, a prisoner of the, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Okay? So here's the worthy manner in which we ought to walk. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of, spirit, of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And go over to go over to First Thessalonians five eleven. It says, "Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing." I should have put these verses in a different order. Go back to Ephesians now, for me. Four twenty nine. Let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that may be grace to those who fear. We're called to build each other up. So you, you go to small group. Are you, are, you, are you there to get? Are you there to build others up? You come in here this morning. Like, man, I hope, I hope Larry inspires me. I hope the worship is moving to me. I hope Jonathan brings something that I can take with me. Okay. I have no doubt that God's going to do those things through his Holy Spirit. But that ought not be our motivation. Our primary motivation, our 
prior revolutions come in here and build each other up to look each other in the eyes, right? Like I'm, I try, I try to look at everybody every sermon. I, I don't always get the opportunity to do it, but like to actually look each other in the eyes and go, "How are you doing? How's life? How was how was that thing we talked about last week? Right? And this is why we do the name tags. Like, man, church is not just like tuning in, right? It's not tuning in just to get to you can. You can go listen to any podcast, any sermon, any day of the week, during your drive, great, awesome. But what's different? God, God is really clear about what the church looks like. It's a body. With arms, legs, feet, mouths, ears, right? Like we all bring these different components to, to, and gifts and talents. And, and so what God wants for us is that we would encourage each other, that we would build each other up in the faith. That you would walk out of here stronger in your faith than you walked in. Not necessarily just because of what I say here. Not just because of what the worship thing. But because of conversation you had with somebody said next do we, do we see those on that same level? Because it seems as though Scripture does. Look at verse 3. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So why why should we do this? Well, Christ did it. Jesus did it. Jesus didn't come here to please himself, clearly, right? Like, he, he could have stayed where he was at and not gone through what he went through. But why did he do it? To build us up. To reveal God to us, right? To strengthen us, to... To teach us. Like, this is why he did it. And so, so what Paul does is he points back to Christ and he goes, yeah, no, you should be about pleasing others just like Christ was about pleasing others. And then skip down to verse 7. <coughs> Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. What a, what a very, like, ordinary word, welcome is. Right? Like, so here, of all the words Paul could have picked, right, he uses this, like, greeting word. Like, be hospitable. Welcome each other. There, there's, there's nobody that we ought to, like, that we ought not to welcome. We should be hospitable. When people walk in this church, hopefully, right, like, when they walk in these doors, like, I mean, clearly you can't come in here anonymously, uh, right? Like, you're, you're going to be seen, and you, you should be seen. Because this is what he, this is how he designed. So, so Christ welcomes us. In fact, it says that, that he welcomes us while we were still weak, Romans 6, 4 says. Right? So while we were the ones with failings and weak, what does Christ do? He welcomes us. He goes, come on. Turn over to Luke, chapter 5. Verse 30. How does Jesus welcome people? Let's read this. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
Jesus welcomed them. In fact, he's like, I'm not, I'm not trying to go to the people who, who like understand who God is. Like I'm, I'm trying to go to people who, who don't, who are, who are missing, who, who don't understand God, who lack hope, who are suffering. And this is why it goes back to the whole pleasing thing. Because frankly, it's easy to hang out with people that are a lot like you. It's easy to hang out with people who are at the same... You're, uh, are, you, are you strong? Are you strong or weak? Uh, so, okay, let's go hang out. Because otherwise, when I go hang out with you, what does that mean for me? I gotta work. I gotta talk to you about things. I gotta be pointing back to Christ in every every sentence I say. But then if we are strong, we're like, well, let's just let's just go hang out. Is that not like? Is that not a motivator in some of our relationships? I mean, let's be honest here. Let's, let's be honest and repent because, uh, frankly, I think it's way easier and we're pleasing ourselves when we're hanging out with people that, frankly, don't need a lot of discipleship. But when you're hanging out with people who do need a lot of discipleship, am I up for that? Thank God Christ was. This is tough. This should be tough. This was this this part. This part I understood. <laughs> this part of the passage, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's really tough. I don't. How do we solve this? And I think what we need to do is we need to understand the power of hope. And I think this is what he's pointing to. Why did Christ come? Why did, why did Jesus come the way he came? Why, why did it all play out the way that it did? Why was Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners instead of hanging out in the synagogue where everybody knew who God was? And he was just kind of correcting some of their theology. Wouldn't that have been way easier for him? Yeah. It would have been way easier. But instead, he goes and he hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. And then what happens? They're like, why are you hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? Does that mean you're approving of what they're doing? Right? Let's just we trap ourselves here. Go back to go back to Romans 15 7. Look at those last five words. For the glory of God. This is why Jesus welcomed us. Why Jesus welcomed the weak. This is why we ought to welcome each other. This is why we ought to be hospitable. We should bear with each other. We have an obligation to do these things. We should, we should be seeking to build others up. Why? For the glory of God. For God's glory. Not, not because it's the right thing to do. Okay? You guys, you guys get the difference between that, right? Like, there's right things to do. There's just obedience. And then there's for God's glory. And when we obey... We are glorifying God. But we can also obey just for the sake of obedience. We can also just do the right things. Because, well, yeah, I guess I'm supposed to invite somebody over to my house. Or I guess I should, you know, be nice to people or whatever. No. That's not, that's not the motivation. The motivation for Christ, for Jesus, the reason he came 
And you can read this in Philippians 2. The reason he came was in humility. To point back to God. To glorify God. And so, for us, So we seek to build others up for God's glory. Like, that's why we do it. That's why we should do it. And in fact, if we don't, if we aren't doing this, then what is our motivation? Because if we're not seeking God's glory, whose glory are we seeking? Because when we seek to please ourselves, whose glory are we seeking? I mean, we're not saying glory like you're going to be on some pedestal or something. Like, that's not the point, right? It's that, it's that when, when you're about, like, I'm going to have relationships with people that are convenient, that don't require a lot from me, that don't require me to be building them up. Like, I can just, I can just have a relationship with them. We can just chill, hang out together. What are you seeing as a priority in your life? You're saying, you're saying, yeah, God, God wants to participate with me, and like, like He wants me to go and like spread the gospel and do all these things. And you're like, yeah, that's cool. Um, I just kind of want to chill with some people. That's not, that's not what I want for you. Now, hear me right. This doesn't mean like all of your time, like you're on, like you, you stamped a, a time clock, you know, or whatever. Nobody does that anymore, but you know, all the people like, yeah, I got. Um, whatever, you're typing your code or whatever it is, right? When you, it's not like you started to go to work when you got baptized and now you're like, you're on the clock and you got to keep going, right? Forever and ever and ever. Like, that's not the point. The point is that we need to look really deep inside of ourselves and go, what are my motivations for what I'm doing? And we talk about this a lot, right? Because God wants a reconciled relationship with us. He doesn't just want to be he wants us to know him. And in that knowing of him, we will have hope. So that's the third point here, right? So we seek to build others up for God's glory to provide hope. That's why Jesus went to people who were sinners and tax collectors and struggling and all this stuff. Why? Because they didn't have hope. They needed hope. Why are you going to someone that has hope to give them hope? They already have it. Awesome. Great. I'm not saying we don't hang out with each other, right? Like, but there's people that don't have hope. They don't know who God is, who are struggling. There's people in this room that are struggling every day to muster up enough hope. So what do we do? We rally around them. We encourage them. We help them with endurance, right? Everything that he talked about there in the early part of chapter 15. Like, like we go to them and we go, let me give you hope. Let me point back to God why you should have hope. Now, hope isn't wishful thinking, okay? We use, we need another word in English, frankly. We're, we're out of words, okay? So, hope is, is I, I, I rack my brain for a little bit trying to think of my word. Like, we use hope, like, you know, I hope I can get Chick-fil-A before it closes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, we, we use hope, and like, my girls will be so proud of me. 
But we use hope in such trivial ways. And then we're really saying, I wish, or, or you know, like, we don't know what, what's going to happen, but like, I'd like this to happen. That's not this hope. That's not this hope. This hope is like a, uh, an expectant anticipation. Like, like the kids, right? I, I, in fact, they wouldn't even use the words, like, I hope my parents bring me home. <laughs> right? They're going to be brought home. They're going to be fed. It's a sure thing. And so this is the same thing. This hope is this, like, this strong trust and knowledge of, that, that's rooted in who God is. And so we have hope because we know who God is and his characteristics. So look at what it says here in 15.8. And this is, it says, um, For I tell you that Christ became a servant. We're going to stop there for a second. Jesus became a servant. Jesus could have come, okay? And I, like, this is always tough because of us in, in whatever year it is, 2023, right? Like, we take so much for granted. Oh, like, history passed all this stuff. But the reality is, is that it, it, when, we, when we look at how Christ came back, we go, oh, yeah, of course he's going to come back as a servant, you know, in humility, and... That's not what people thought was going to happen. Right? People, people thought that Jesus was going to come back triumphant, victor, conquering king, establishing the kingdom, taking the righteous and going, good job, taking the unrighteous and damning them. That's what they thought was going to happen. And so, when Jesus then comes as a servant... To serve us with his life, we have to ask the question, why? Why did God do that? I mean, we're all benefactors of that, right? Because if he had come the other one, we wouldn't even exist, right? And so we got to ask, why? Why did Jesus come back in this way? In fact, this is by and large why the Jews don't see Christ as the Messiah because they're still waiting for this conqueror to overthrow earthly governments and to establish their land, right? All these temporal types of things. But what Jesus does is he comes back and he opens these things up. Look at what it says in, 15, uh, in the rest of 15.8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, meaning the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the pro promises given to the patriarchs. So what we have here is this, like, like, Jesus comes in service to the Jewish people first. Okay, now, now he's going he's to talk about serving the Gentiles as well. And remember, if you guys have been with us, right, like, the Jews are God's chosen people, covenant people, and then you've got the Gentiles, which is everybody else. And frankly, probably everybody in here is probably in that other category of Gentiles, okay? So, in fact, if you go back to the Old Testament, you actually look at these verses that are going to be quoted here. Most of the time, they use the word nations, not Gentiles. Uh, and that's the idea. It's like, it's, it's the rest of the nations. It's, it's everything else, right? You've got the Jews, and then you've got everybody else. Um, and so what, what, he's, what, it, what he's going back to is he's saying that Christ came to serve both Jews and Gentiles. Well, there's a unifying purpose. 
We've seen this all throughout the beginning of Romans. What was Paul doing at the very beginning? Jews thought they were special, and that they weren't, that they didn't have the same rebellious nature that the Gentiles had. And, and God goes, no, you're all in a, in, a, in a mess, right? You're all sinful. You're all rebellious. And then the Jews go, well, no, but our right, we're righteous because we have the law. And Paul goes, no, that's not what makes you righteous either. In fact, your righteousness comes from Jesus. Your righteousness needs to come from God. You don't build it up in yourself, right? And so all this time, Paul has been trying to take the Gentiles and the Jews and put them together. But he doesn't all the same basket. You're, there's historical things that, that God did with the Jews in order to make all this happen. And we're not going to get into that. But, but he goes, you're, you're all in need of Christ. You're all in need of the Savior. And so here again, he's going, Jesus came to serve both Jews and Gentiles. He, saved, he, he came to serve the Jews by what? Fulfilling the covenantal promises. What did, what did God promise to Abraham? He promised them a land, right? He promised them uh, descendants that would be as many as the number of the stars in the sky. Uh, he promised them something else, but I can't think of it right now. <laughs> Oh, no, oh, sorry. He promised David that, that his son would be on the throne, right, eternally. Right? These were the promises to the, to the patriarchs, to the Jewish people. How many sons did Abraham have when he died? Two. One by promise. How much land did Abraham have when he died? Not much. How much land did Moses get to see? He wasn't even allowed in. What about, the, what about the throne, the, the, the kingdom that was going to last eternally that God had promised? Gone when they went to Babylon. So, where's the hope? It's a good question. Where, how are the Jews supposed to have hope? Either God can't fulfill his promises, or he chooses not to. I mean, that's probably what they were thinking. I mean, or they're holding out, going like, maybe it's just not yet, or maybe there's another way, right? Enter Jesus. And Jesus goes, you want a land? Like, like how many square miles do you want? He's like, that's cute. What? How about I give you a, an eternal dwelling place in the presence of the Father? Oh, you want descendants, like a bunch of like Jewish descendants. How about this? How about... The whole world will become children of promise, not just your genealogical descendants. Abraham couldn't even fathom that. You see, you see what? And so that was the, there was another there was a third promise to Abraham. It was that that all the nations would be blessed, right? That was the other promise that God gave to Abraham. So, so he says, all the nations are going to be blessed, and Abraham's like, yeah, I'm not exactly sure. I guess we'll just cruise around here and. And just be good people, and maybe that's how everybody's going to be blessed. And then, and then we see Jesus come, and he goes, no, this is how everybody's going to be blessed. Because the gospel goes, because they're going to have righteousness by faith, not by obedience to a law. And so Jesus comes and establishes the truthfulness of God. That's what Jesus did. That's how he was a servant to the Jews. He goes back and he goes, here are all of the covenantal promises fulfilled in me. And this is why... You read, when Jesus says that this is the blood in the, at the Last Supper, he says, 
This is the blood of the new covenant. The new promise that's through him. And so Jesus does this incredible piece of like, going, like no, I'm, I'm helping them understand that there is hope in God's truthfulness. God did not abandon them. God did not fail in keeping his promises. So that's the first piece of hope that Jesus came to serve. And then he goes to the Gentiles. And he establishes that they can have hope in God's mercy. Look at what it says in 15.9. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So it's, it's, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised for this and to the Gentiles so that they would glorify God for his mercy. Well, what mercy? What was the status of the Gentiles prior to Jesus coming? Like, I mean, they could be saved, but they had to become a Jew. Like, with all that, in, that entails, they had to become a Jew, and then they could be saved. But for the most part, it, it, they were kind of ostracized. And the nations saw God as a frankly, a pretty unfair God. He just picked these people, and these people are good, but everybody else is at a loss. And so Jesus comes and fulfills this and goes, no, 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 God is merciful. In fact, not only that, but those nations, they've always been a part of God's plan. Always. And this is where he then goes through and quotes these verses. And so we're going to step through, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it's really cool. The first quote is from David in 2 Samuel. The second quote is from Moses. In Deuteronomy. The third one is from uh, uh, an unnamed psalmist, and then the fourth one is from Isaiah. Like, it seems pretty specific that, that, that Paul is going like, let me grab, I'm going to grab somebody from the wall. I'm going to grab Moses. We're going to quote Moses and show that the Gentiles, that God was thinking about the Gentiles even when Moses was around. And then we're going to go to David, and we're going to we're going to look and, and go, yeah, they were, he, God was even thinking about the Gentiles then. And God was thinking about the Gentiles during the Psalms. And God was thinking about the Gentiles when Isaiah was prophesied. That's what he's doing here. Look at what he says here in um, Romans 15, 9. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And so David's saying, like, the Gentiles are going to be with us, among us. Again, remember, like the word Gentile for the most part is nations in, in the Old Testament, if you go back and look at it. And again, it said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. This is, this is in the Psalm of Moses. And if you go back and read uh, Deuteronomy 32, uh, 31, I think it leads into it. And it's like, the, the Psalm of Moses is not a good song. I mean, it's, it is, it's a scripture. It's not happy, let's just say. But at the conclusion of the song, this is where he concludes. He's like, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him, the psalmist says. Then in verse 12, and again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. You see, Jesus comes to go, no, no, no. you got to understand, like, this is, man, anybody, anybody can, can come to God. Anybody can become an adopted child of God. And so Jesus comes as a servant to communicate this hope. 
And we are called to go out as servants to communicate this hope. It's the same thing. Paul's using Jesus as an example. He's like, if Jesus, the Son of God, came down and did this, do you, do you think do you think you can? In fact, I think I took it out of here, but I mean, go back and read Colossians 1, 16 through 17, that all things were created uh, for him and through him. Like, this is Jesus. And that was Jesus on the cross. Why did he do that? Not to please himself, but to please us. To reveal who God is. To reveal that God's truthful and that he's merciful. I mean, how much does our world need to hear this? How much do, do people struggling with hope need to hear that God is truthful? That with all these promises that you know, you've memorized them, you've got them written on different places. Like, the world needs to hear the promises of God, the true promises of God. And they need to hear that God is merciful, that he's not this vengeful just God that's just cutting people off if they do the wrong thing. No, we go, I sin. I sin every day. That's not the problem. I mean, it is the problem, but like, but, but I've got, like, Jesus has taken my sins away, right? I wrestle with my sins. The world doesn't wrestle with their sins, or they do, and they don't know what the solution is. He goes, okay. Wrestle with your sins. There's a sacrifice that's good enough, and it's Christ. Jesus has done this. And so this is why Jesus came, to teach people who God is, his characteristics of truthfulness and mercy, so that what? That we would hope in him. That we would hope. And then look at verse 13. And he says, may the God of hope, which I just think is super cool, right? Like, like he now defines God by this hope. He is the God of hope. Like, like the hope, it belongs to God. If you have any hope, it's God. Like, he's the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. I'm just going to pause on that for a second. You see, when we know who God is, when we know his truthfulness, when we know his mercy, we have hope in him. And when we have hope in him, what then does that leave for us in this world? Worry, anxiety, anger, frustration? No, that's not what he says. I mean, we have these things. Most of them are produced from our sin. Most. No, what does he leave us with? Joy and peace. That independent of our circumstances, both of these things, joy and peace, are, are two, like, they're, they're, they're pretty cool. They're good to have together, right? Like, it's independent of your circumstances. Joy is not happiness. Joy is a steadfast joy. I don't know. I, I should have thought through what I was going to say there. Joy, 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 joy is steadfast. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. And you go, and the world looks at you and goes, how, how are you doing okay with all that's going on? I have hope in my God. Because his word says that he's truthful and that he's merciful. I mean, and you can go down a litany of other truths that we've, that we've read in scripture, right? That he's for me, he's not against me. 
that's, that's why. That's why I have joy. And how do you have peace in the midst of these things, right? So, so we go, we go to build others up so that they would have joy and peace. We seek to build others up for the glory of God, giving them hope so that they would have joy and peace. And, and what do we get out of this? We watch it happen. That's what we get out of it. We, we get to participate with God. Have you ever prayed for somebody and, and, and God answered the prayer in the way that you were praying? Have you, have you had that happen? This is, I, I think, partly why God calls us to pray too. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Because you're like, wow. Like, I was, I was praying for that, and, and my prayer was aligned with God's will. <laughs> And it brings this joy and peace. So when we see other people battling circumstances in their lives, there's a few of you in the, in the church that like are battling stuff, but the joy and peace that you have in the midst of it is like, it's awesome. I'm like, I'll hang out with you every day all day. And then he says, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in That's what the world doesn't have. They hope in things and stuff that are fleeting and weak and temporary. And we have a hope that rests on the truthfulness and mercy of God. Praise God. And so that's, that's what the strong are obliged to give to the weak. So if you in here consider yourself strong, like have you raise your hands. You're in here, continue to consider yourself strong in the faith. Like you've got this joy and peace locked up. Not all the time. None of us are 100%, right? But you're like, no, I get it. Like I, I, can, I can wrestle my way back into confidence in God. If you're in that category, this message is for you. Because we have an obligation. Doesn't mean uh, rear ends and seats. That's not building others up. What he's talking about. Walking alongside of each other, reminding them of God's truths, and giving them hope. And that's what we're going to be doing here. So we're doing our small groups, so we're doing ministry, ladies' group, and all the different things. That's not necessarily those things, right? People have other groups and stuff like that, but in your relationships, that's what our words <coughs> ought to be for. Because ultimately, it's for God's glory. It's for God's glory. The whole thing is for God's glory. So that God would be glorified. Not so that you would be the rescuer of anybody. You're not. You won't be. You'll fail. We'll all fail each other at some point. If we have a close enough relationship that allows us to fail each other, I promise you, we'll do it. But God knows. So let us then glorify God in our lives. Not seek to build others up because Jonathan said we should and it seems to be the right thing. That's not it. It's for the glory of God.